Hello guys, my name is Xavier Lundgren and today we are going to be doing an episode about Indigenous culture for my episode 2 of my podcast, Free of Freedom. Today we're going to talk about the past and present day events relating to Indigenous culture. We're going to touch on Geronimo, Indian education, murdered and missing Native American women, Indigenous boarding schools, and the Indigenous movement. I'm going to start off with a quote from Congresswoman Deb Holland from the Indigenous Peoples Movement. She says, it's an important time in our country's history, in our world's history. It's time for us to make a move. It's time for us to stand up for the environment. It's time for us to stand up for our people. Now we're gonna set the scene with some history. So first, we're going to talk about Geronimo. Geronimo was a warrior. He was born and raised in an area along the Gila River. He would then spend the next several years attacking both Mexican and U.S. troops. His goal was to kill as many white men as he could. He targeted immigrants and tormented white settlers. He was known around town because Americans were known to frighten their kids with the threat of Geronimo coming for them if they were misbehaving, almost like Americans do in relation to clowns or characters from scary movies today. So later on, Geronimo surrendered after immigrants demanded federal military intervention because he was outnumbered. He wanted to make the best terms possible for himself, so him and his renegades agreed to a two-year exile. President Cleveland wrote, I hope nothing will be done with Geronimo, which will prevent our treating him as a prisoner of war, if we cannot hang him, which I would much prefer. Geronimo avoided execution. Businessmen wanted Geronimo to serve as a tourist attraction, so Geronimo and his pals from prison camp would later be reunited with their families. Later, he was invited to things like fairs and was a living museum piece and exhibits as a monument to the progression of civilization. He would post for pictures and even sell autographs. Geronimo enjoyed the fair himself. He especially liked the magic trick with the swords going through a woman. He would then go on to say how white people were kind and peaceful people. He got invited to Roosevelt's parade along with five Indian chiefs. This was to show Americans he was done killing them and meant no harm anymore. He continued to be referred to as a bloodthirsty Indian, and he was often depicted as crazy. When he was buried, both white and Native Americans attended. He made headlines as Geronimo, now a good Indian. This whole story is really interesting to me and really all over the place. It's cool to see the whole story laid out and see the evolution of Geronimo figuring out people aren't so bad and he was able to explore the world. In the end, he brought together Native Americans and white people at his funeral and for that time it wasn't super common which is a pretty beautiful ending and the best one that could have come from it. Now moving on to Indian Education by Sherman Alexie. So this excerpt kind of hurts my heart with the way it was presented. It starts off with first grade and ends in 12th grade. 
I'm going to take a quote from a couple of the years and give my take on the quotes. Second grade, she sent a letter home with me that told my parents to either cut my braids or keep me home from class. My parents came in the next day and dragged their braids across Betty Towel's desk. Indians, Indian, Indians. And I said, yes, I am Indian. Indian, I am. Third grade. In third grade, though, I stood alone in the corner, faced the wall, and waited for the punishment to end. I'm still waiting. Fourth grade. Why should I become a doctor, I asked. So you come back and help the tribe so you can heal people. Seventh grade, I leaned through the basement window and kissed the girl who would later be raped by her foster parent father, who was also white. They both lived on the reservation, though, and the headlines and stories filled the paper. Later, not one word was made of the color. Just Indians being Indians, someone must have said somewhere, and they were wrong. Eighth grade, I could hear the white girls forced vomiting. I sat back and watched them grow skinny from self-pity. Back on the reservation, my mother stood in line to get us commodities. But we ate it day after day and grew skinny from self-pity. There is more than one way to starve. Ninth grade. I passed out during a slow song. Doctors would later diagnose my diabetes. Hey, he said, what's that boy been drinking? I know all about these Indian kids. They start drinking real young. Sharing dark skin doesn't necessarily make two brothers. Brothers. Two men brothers. Tenth grade. Believe me. Everything looks like a noose if you stare at it long enough. 11th grade. The farm town high school I played for is nicknamed the Indians, and I'm probably the actual only Indian ever to play for the team with such a mascot. 12th grade. Back home on the reservation, my former classmates graduate. A few can't read. One or two are just given attendance diplomas. Most look forward to the parties. The bright students are shaken, frightened, because they don't know what comes next. This boy comparing his life to the reservation versus his life in a white school is pretty interesting to me. My middle school's mascot was Indians as well, and my high school was the Chiefs. And they had recently made that change to get rid of that mascot for cultural appreciation, excuse me, cultural appropriation reasons, the opposite of cultural appreciation. I, myself, am Native American, and I have people close to me who have taken place having these hardships on reservations and have experienced these crimes and torture. They don't get proper dental care, health care, education, or anything along those lines on the reservation, but at this time, being in a white school was not necessarily any safer for Native American kids. So now moving on to a similar topic of indigenous boarding schools. I'm going to start off with a story about Bessie Smith. She was in a federal boarding school. She tells us that they told her she wasn't allowed to speak her native language. Her hair was cut. She was stripped of her clothing and moccasins and given a dress to wear. It took away one more thing, and that was her name. Bessie Smith is not her actual name. It was given to her as... One last hit to get rid of her Navajo culture. Originally, her name in Navajo meant woman who fights back. She felt very violated from this as her culture was just so casually taken and she nearly forgot her native language. 
She thought she did forget it, actually, until years later in a hospital. She came across a Navajo couple. She thought this vocabulary had been beaten out of her, but it was still there. Another story comes from Norman Lopez. He said when he was in boarding school, they smashed his hand, carved flute, and threw it away. He's now 78 and still plays the flute and has made more hand-carved ones. These government-run schools for indigenous children caused many deaths. At one of the schools in Canada, 215 graves were found and 750 more. Many of the kids taken to these sites were experiments of forcing removing from their family and culture. This was never forgotten in native culture. Going to these boarding schools had always been a nightmare for them. At one point, 83% of Native American school-aged children were in these boarding schools by the 1920s, as said in a New York Times article. These schools were said to be a cheaper way to deal with the Indian problem. These sorts of sites separated these kids not only from their culture, but their spirituality, mental, physical, and emotional health. These kids were beaten, tormented to death. This stuff is so harsh and can be compared to Hitler and his time of what he did to Jews and people who didn't look like him. It's so interesting how growing up in school we just see Indians and white people eating a feast together, helping each other, teaching each other things, when in reality, they were just out for blood. And they didn't want any other culture to be practiced around them because they didn't find it important because it wasn't theirs. These are reasons why my Native American mom kept me home on Columbus Day and gave me Native American crafts to do at home. I learned the real stories of the terror through reservations and the indigenous cultures upbringing. It wasn't what they made in history books because history books are whitewashed to fit their narrative. Feeding off the tormented children and deaths of them in boarding schools, we're going to transition into murdered and missing indigenous women. This is a topic I feel directly connected to. My Native American aunt has been missing for a decade. This is a closed case, and although it is closed, our research, sorry, our search for my aunt is not ended. She was an older woman at the time and living in South Dakota. Alongside my aunt, whether she's dead or alive, are thousands more. Majority of these cases go unsolved, and with that, many are not documented at all, meaning there are more than we are even aware of cases of murdered and missing indigenous women. According to publicintegrity.com, Native women are up to 10 times more likely to be murdered, and of course that doesn't even include the unsolved cases, so it's probably even more. These cases are overall underreported, making the data kind of wonky in the long run when researching the topic. Also in the article, I learned that more than half of indigenous women have been sexually assaulted, as well as over a third have been raped. This puts them at nearly 2.5 times more likely than white women, and their perpetrator is more than likely not native. Violence against Native Americans is prevalent in general, and adding their gender role to it just adds to the violence. Four out of five of these women are affected by violence even today. Stop violence against Native women. Hashtag MMIWG2S. Overall, it's a cruel world out there. Stand behind the indigenous movement. Through legal battles, public campaigns, partnerships, corporations, and other organizations help secure the rights of indigenous people. In a poem by Joy, in a poem by Joy Harjo, she says, We are dreaming on an occupied island. 
Their land deserves to be protected because it was theirs first before it was any of ours. Businesses and the government today still threaten indigenous people, making it that much more important to protect them.